Section 23 of Birds, Volume 3, Number 5, May 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Blethering Ape. The New Tenants by Eleanor Kinsley Marble. Under the eaves in an old tin pot, six little birds lie in a nest. The mother bird broods them with her wings and her downy feathered breast. With coos and chirps she tells her love, as human mothers do, says Tootsie Wootsie Mammy's dove, and Papa's Tootsie too. Pierre gazed after Bridget with a perplexed look. Ah, uh, uh, what? he inquired. I never heard that word before. Oh, you didn't, returned Henry with a wise air. If I'm not mistaken, a hornithologist has reference to a horned owl. Has it not, Mama? It might if there were such a word, she replied with a laugh. Bridget meant an ornithologist, the scientific name for students of birds and their ways. But come, Mrs. Wren, shows signs of uneasiness. We must not disturb her again today. I'm truly glad they are gone, said Mrs. Wren, as her spouse flew over to the tin pot. It makes me very nervous when they all stand about and stare at me so. Of course it does, sympathizingly replied Mr. Wren, but now let me get another peep of the little darling. My, what a lovely little creature it is. And Mr. Wren whisked his tail and chirped to the baby in a truly papa-like fashion. And to think that moon-faced Bridget said it was the skinniest, ugliest little base she ever saw, indignantly returned Mrs. Wren, mimicking Bridget's brogue to perfection. The precious little thing, turning the birdling over with her bill, why, he is the very image of his father. Do you think so? A little doubtfully. It seems to me that, that, oh, you will see when his hair, or rather feathers, grow out and his lovely black eyes open. Look at his dear little tootsie witsies, kissing the long scrawny toes. My, how glad I am that the eldest is a boy. Little Dorothy will have a brother to protect her, you know. Don't count your chickens before they are hatched, my dear, warned Mr. Wren, never forgetful of the many dangers surrounding a nest full of eggs or young birds. Mr. Jay or Mr. Owl or Mr. Hawk might yet pay us a visit and... Or a collector might come along, said Mrs. Wren, and carry off eggs, birdling and all. Oh, how that thought frightens me. And the poor little mother cowered deeper down in the nest, uttering a plaintive, shuddering cry. There, there, said Mr. Wren, caressing her with his bill. Time enough to cross the stream when we come to it. Our landlord will protect his tenants, I am sure, so sit here and croon a lullaby to the baby while I go to market. I heard of a place yesterday where I can get some of those delicious thousand legs of which you were so fond. Ta-ta, love. And away he flew, fully alive to the fact of another mouth in the whole nest to feed. Every day for six... A little yellow bill pecked its way out of the shell, and every day a delighted and curious group of children peeked into the tin pot at the nervous Mrs. Wren and her family. Their eyes look so big, and so do their mouths, she lamented after one of these visits. I am always reminded of that story our landlady one afternoon told the children. What story, tenderly inquired Mr. Wren, of the wolf and little red riding hood. Ugh! Imagine anything eating up our dear little Dorothy. And Mrs. Wren stood on her feet, fluffed her feathers in a pretty motherly way, and gathered her brood more closely under her. Very little time now had Mr. Wren to spare for singing or flying about with his neighbors, so occupied were he and Mrs. Wren in providing food for their family. 
There's precious little fun in this sort of thing, growled he one day when paying a brief visit to Mr. John and his spouse. One can never go near the nest but open fly six red mouths asking for food. It's peep, peep, peep from morning till night. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Eat and bring up again to cram, cram, cram down six long red throats the whole day long. There are some days, with a sigh, when I really long to be a bachelor again. Oh, you do, said Mrs. John, with a meaning glance at her husband. There are other fathers of families, I dare say, Mr. Wren, who, if they dared, would say the same thing. But smoothing her apron, you have such a shiftless creature for a wife that I don't much wonder. Jenny, I presume, stays at home and lets you do all the fetching and carrying. Indeed, replied Mr. Wren, who wished he had not complained at all. You are very much mistaken, Mrs. John. Jenny can find more grubs, worms, and beetles in one minute than I can in ten. She is always on the go and seldom complains, though I must admit she does a deal of scolding. She wouldn't be a member of our family if she didn't, proudly said Mrs. John. My mother, but Mr. Wren, who had heard that story a score of times, suddenly remembered Mrs. Jenny would be expecting him at home, said goodbye and hastily flew away. Pierre, the firstborn, was now old enough to fly, but timidly stayed in the nest. Mrs. Wren noted with great anxiety that no sooner did she leave the tin pot but up popped six little heads, and out upon a curious world gazed twelve little bead-like eyes. Do be good children while I am gone, she would entreat when ready for market. Do keep your heads inside of the house. Pierre, put your head down in the nest instantly. Do you hear me? And little Mrs. Wren would stand on the edge of the tin pot and fussily cry, Crup, up, up, which in Wren language means, you naughty, naughty birds. I think I am big enough to get out of here, said Pierre one day as he watched her fly away. Bugs and worms must taste a heap better fresh from the ground. I'm tired of baby food, I am. So am I, piped Emmett. You try your wings first, Pierre, and if you can fly, I will come after. Well, here goes said Pierre, poising himself on the rim of the pot as he had seen his parents do. Watch me, boys. Watch me fly. Well, we are watching you, they chorused, as he spread his wings and flapped them a number of times. Why don't you go? I, I, stammered Pierre. Oh, there's a cat! And into the pot he darted and down they all huddled like so many frightened mice. Presently Bobby raised his head and peeped out. I don't see any cat, said he, and I don't believe you did either, Pierre. You were only afraid to fly. Pierre looked a little sheepish. If you fellows think it's so easy, try it, was the mocking reply. There is nobody here to hinder you. Well, I will, said Bobby stoutly. And out he crawled on to the edge of the pot, spread his wings, and with one preparatory flap rose in the air, and down he came with a frightened peep to the ground. Bridget, at this moment, broom in hand, came out upon the porch to do her daily sweeping. "'It's lucky for yees, me darlin', said she, tenderly picking up the helpless bird, "'that we do be having no cats for tenants on these premises, so it is. A purty soft thing yees now are in your coat of feathers, and not an ugly little baste at all at all.' "'It's queer,' she continued, stroking the bird with her big red fingers." What ideas the innocent crather do be puttin' into me head for sure, me hand, for instance, and the wings of this little bird. Two wonderful things, when one comes to think of it, and very useful. It's so a crather's we'd both be without em, wouldn't we, birdie? There now, placing it in the pot, 
Take an old woman's advice, and don't yous be so anxious after leaving the home nest. It's many a hard-earned dollar, so it is, that Bridget O'Flaherty would give to get back to her own. And with visions before her humid eyes of old Ireland and the tumble-down cottage in which she was born, Bridget fell vigorously to sweeping. To be concluded. End of section 23. This recording is in the public domain.